You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. This is Tom Selig. I'm a senior vice president of a bank. I used to be a lawyer. I like to make connections, and sometimes amazing things happen. That's what this podcast is about, when the magic happens. Today's guest is uh, Brad Kunkel. Brad is the sheriff of Johnson County. We hope to learn more about Brad's background and his family, and also um, his plans to the office, looking forward, and how the sheriff's office operates and interacts in our community. Not everybody can, can say that every day is a new opportunity to have a positive impact on somebody's life. We, we can and we do make a difference. It's just we have to remember to not take those chances for granted. So stick around. We'll be right back. This episode of Tom's New Best Friend is brought to you by West Bank, a community bank since 1893, providing services to businesses and consumers, nationally recognized by Raymond James as a top-performing community bank, prioritizing community, responsive to local needs. West Bank, member FDIC. Welcome. I'm excited to have Brad Kunkel here today as my guest on the podcast. Brad is the sheriff of Johnson County, and I'm anxious to learn more about what the sheriff does. Um, Brad, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'll take advantage of any opportunity I get where I can talk and people get to listen. So. As we were talking a minute ago, <laughs> I grew up in Iowa City, and so I've been here my whole life in Johnson County, but I don't really know what the sheriff really does. But let's start with your background. Where did you grow up, and how did you get involved with law enforcement and that whole, the whole story? So I actually grew up in uh, rural Cedar County in the little town of Downey, so just straight south of West Branch a few miles, and um, graduated from high school in 1997 from West Branch. Um, but I've always been attached to Johnson County. My, my mom worked at the University of Iowa for, gosh, like 30 years, uh, and my dad owned a small business in Iowa City for quite a while when I was a kid. So um, we've always, my family has always been connected to Iowa City. A lot of friends in Iowa mm-hmm. City. Um, it's always, it, it's been it's been my home, um, away from home, if you will, for a long time. So how did you get involved with law enforcement? When you Did you pursue it right away, or what, what's your background in law enforcement? I, I did. So um, when I was a teenager, I had, a, I had a job in high school working at a gas station, and um, it happened to be a place where a lot of the local cops hung out. And, you know, up until that point in my life, I didn't I'd say I didn't have a lot of positive role models. And um, I, they, I intersected with them at, a, at the right time in my life where I thought, you know, that's what I want to do. And so I started down that path then, um, just thinking about making good decisions and what I want to do after high school. And uh, graduated from high school went to Kirkwood, got my associate's degree, and I started with the sheriff's office in Johnson County when I was 21 years old. I've been there ever since. Oh, great. And you ran for election, in, I think, in 2020, is that right? Correct. And started uh, in 21, right? That's correct. The, uh, this year, right? Yeah, this is my first term. I'm 11 months and 10 days into it, not that I'm counting, but uh, yeah, I'm in my first year, my first term as being elected as the sheriff of Johnson County. Right. Tell me other training you may have gotten along the way you know, as far as you go to some academies or what, how that works as far as law enforcement. Yeah, so every law enforcement officer in Iowa goes through the Iowa Law Enforcement Academy. Um, typically, that's 
as you are hired with your first law enforcement agency, they send you to the academy. Mm -hmm. So you're not putting yourself through it. The agency you work for sends you as their employee. Uh, back when I went through, I think the academy was thir 13 weeks, and I think now it's up to 16 weeks. Uh, that's at Camp Dodge in Johnston. And then once you're done at the academy, you return back to your local agency and go through whatever training they have for the job that you have there. Our office is different. Most sheriff's offices in Iowa, the new deputies start working in the jail, which is how we do things in Johnson County. So you return from the academy, you start your training in the jail, and then your career path varies just depending on your agency. At our sheriff's office, we have a collective bargaining agreement. So all movement in the sheriff's office in the bargaining unit is, done through, is through bidding under the contract. Um, when you go to the patrol division, for example, then you go through the field training program on patrol and then you're eventually once you're done with field training then you're out there doing your job by yourself mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis well let's start with the number of employees how many people work for the sheriff's office and what type of jobs do they have so we have 73 sworn deputies including myself uh, and then about 20 a little over 20 f other full-time civilian employees mm -hmm. uh, we also have a reserve unit which is a volunteer division of the sheriff's office uh, and that varies anywhere from 20 to 30 people in the reserves just depending on um, turnover so the we have a lot of divisions at the sheriff's office that people can work in we're, we're unique in in that regard um, we have as i mentioned the jail division the patrol division we have a civil division which uh, they are kind of an enforcement arm of the courts if you will mm -hmm. and a lot of what they do is serving civil notices you know garnishments evictions subpoenas those things we have an investigations division. So those are our detectives that do our uh, major crimes investigations. Um, we have our records division, which uh, they handle public records, sex offender registry, gun permits. We have a courthouse security division. Um, they are four deputies assigned to work at the courthouse. Um, I'm drawing a blank. We have yeah. our, uh, uh, and then administration, there's myself, the chief deputy and our patrol commander. Um, we also have our reserve unit, as I mentioned, and then we have a jail alternatives program too. So it's a, we have a pretty broad career path, a lot of opportunities for people. So you have uh, almost hundred employees or just, yeah, we're just shy of a hundred employees. Okay. And we talk about, uh, this law enforcement, as I understand it, I live in Iowa city. That's where I grew up. And so when I, if I have a problem, I call the Iowa city police. Uh, how, how does that work with the sheriff? How sure. So the sheriff is the law enforcement um, provider for you know the rural parts of Johnson County and all of our small towns that don't have their own police departments. So Swisher, Shueyville, Solon, Tiffin, Oxford, Hills, and Lone Tree. They're the incorporated towns out in the county. We provide 24-7 law enforcement coverage for them. The other towns in the county, so Iowa City, Coralville, North Liberty, University Heights, all have their own police departments. They handle their 24-7 law enforcement coverage in their towns. The sheriff does have jurisdiction throughout the entire county, but our primary area of focus is not in those towns that have their own police department. So if you call 911 and you live in Iowa City, that call goes to the same communication center, but the call is dispatched to the Iowa City Police Department. Right. If there's some sort of large emergency, we assist in those frequently. I mean, that's what we're here to do is help each other out. So we can respond to larger incidents in Iowa City. Um, for example, um, uh, you know, when, uh, a few years ago, like a shooting down on the Ped Mall. I mean, that brought a response from all the local law enforcement agencies, that kind of thing. Um, 
we can our office the sheriff's office is located in iowa city so you know we we certainly have the authority to make a traffic stop while we're coming to and from the rural part of the county but our job is to be out in rural johnson county policing the roads uh, the interstates and the small towns great well good now tell me that when you ran for office i recall you had a couple of prairies when it was domestic violence so what uh so how's that how's that going forward so that's going forward um really well so what i talked about a lot during the campaign was just this basically the idea is that we have to do more in what we're doing to combat domestic violence and to make sure we're supporting victims and survivors um in, in better ways that we have in the past and so what we've done since since you know the election is we've now started assigning um all domestic violence cases where there's an, a results in an arrest when those um after those arrests are made and the charges are filed and that case is then assigned to a detective for follow-up because patrol typically handles most of those cases um you know they take the initial report they make an arrest send the case up to the county attorney's office and then they're done with it but the the other side of that is you know victims and survivors um aren't done with it it's not that simple sure. right so i've always thought we have to do more to make sure we're we're building the strongest cases we can, ensuring victims are safe going forward, and making sure offenders are held accountable. So two of our detectives now follow up on all those cases, um, f conduct any follow-up interviews, take any additional pictures, um, make sure they're staying in touch with the victims about uh, if no contact order violations. Um, you know, we, we have to be, let me put it this way, we spend a lot of time, money, and resources in society on improving and, and focusing on defendants and reducing recidivism, which is a good thing. But we're not spending enough time also supporting victims and survivors. Sure. Yeah. And I want to make sure we're doing that also. Mm -hmm. And that's what this effort is, a large part of what this effort is, is to make sure we're doing more for victims and survivors. And then with that, um, another way to move that concept forward is um, right now I have a pending request with the county for ARPA funding to fund two new positions to put uh, domestic violence offenders on a GPS monitor as a condition of release. That will allow, um, one, to help reduce and prevent the number of no contact order violations to make sure victims have another, you know, measure of security in place for them. But it can also provide an opportunity for offenders to stay in touch with their jobs and make sure they're able to provide in some way if they have treatment that they're going through on the outside and reduce our jail population. Mm -hmm. So we, we can do both with that. So it's, it's just another part of this effort to do more to protect and support survivors of domestic violence. Well, good. Uh, tell me about the jail. I, I know we have the jail. It's, I, I call it the new jail. It's not new anymore, but uh, how many uh, residents do you have? Is it full? Use, uh, in the old mm -hmm. day, these stories we had to ship people to different counties what's what's the jail situation here in johnson county so not a lot's changed so the jail <laughs> the current jail was built in 1981 so it's a 40 year old building that was built for originally for 46 had 46 beds it was double bunked within a few years so on paper and today the capacity is 92. however we don't have 92 inmates in the custody of the building and i i the jail discussion has changed a lot because you have to look at it as I would say BC and AC before COVID and after COVID. No, oh, I see. Yeah. So, so prior to COVID, we typically had about 60 to 65 inmates 
in the physical building we have here in mm -hmm. Johnson County. And then anywhere from 20 to 30, somewhere in there, maybe a little more housed out of county. Mm -hmm. um, then COVID hit and we had to really find creative ways to keep COVID out of the jail. One of those is reduce the jail population. And that was more of a joint effort between us and the courts, uh, the Department of Correctional Services to how can we identify offenders who we can successfully release from custody, not have a big danger of you know reoffending, and keep our jail population down. So the jail population plummeted um, about the March, April of last year. We were down to in the 20s for a while. And then we hovered in the 30s for a long time of people who were in custody in this building and we still had people housed out of county. But time has gone on, you know, we've society's slowly moving back to kind of our new normal and crime still occurs. That didn't change. And since then our jail population has continued to tick back up. So today I don't have the number for today specifically, but we're back up into we're over 50 inmates in the jail here in Iowa City. Mm -hmm. We're getting close to pre-COVID numbers. And I would say the significant difference is who we have in custody are people in jail for sex abuse, domestic violence, homicide, gun violence, forcible felonies. So those crimes are still occurring and we're still continuing to see our jail population numbers go up. So that, that's a long way of saying our jail is still not big enough because we still house people out of county and we still spend a considerable amount of money housing people out of county and we spend a considerable amount of money repairing and keeping a 40-year-old building up and running. It gets more expensive mm -hmm. and we continue to have infrastructure problems in the jail because it's it's past its lifetime. So the the jail the new jail discussion has came and went years ago there were bond referendums and those didn't pan out and here we are years later the the problem hasn't changed we've done a lot of good things to um, provide more services and reduce the jail population and lower recidivism but people still do commit crimes and there are still victims out there that we need to make sure we are serving and protecting and that means we will still need to people will still be incarcerated mm -hmm. and we can't kick the jail can down the road forever. A quick question. I'm a little confused between if I am arrested and have to go to jail, there's the county jails and of course there's the state prisons. How is that? Is that a short term, long term? How, how do you decide where, where a person goes to jail? Sure. So that's, that's a, I think the simplest way to explain it is jails are for housing people who haven't been convicted of a crime. Prisons are for housing people who have gone through the court system, been found guilty or pled guilty and sentenced to prison. And the difference is jails are for people who have not also not been sentenced to more than a year. If you've been sentenced to a more than a year of incarceration, you go to prison. Jails are for housing pretrial inmates. Prisons mm -hmm. are for sentenced inmates incarcerated for long periods of time. The county jails are operated by counties. State prisons are operated by the state, state government. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, that helps. Well, let's talk about um, uh, your your personal stuff. You you live in Solon, is that right? Yeah, we we lived mm -hmm. in Solon for a number of years, and actually, we lived when we kind of outgrew our house. We relocated. Now we live out in rural Johnson County, outside of Solon. Okay, and you've got 
your wife Julia. I guess people know I work at West Bank. So we have a, Julia now works for West Bank. She's a, a, a great addition. You have, I think you have three boys. Is that right? Yep, we have three boys. Uh, Seventeen. My middle son just turned fifteen yesterday, and then our youngest son uh, is ten. He he's just enjoying being ten. So it's yeah. a fun age. So it's an active time in your household. I think the kids are doing stuff, right? Oh yeah. Um, you know, our oldest son, he's he works. He works before school, goes to school, and then goes back to work after school. Um, and he's heading down the path of actually enlisting in the army, which is a pretty proud wow. experience to go through. Um, and then, yeah, baseball and flag football and yeah. guitar lessons, all that kind of stuff for the other kids. So it's very busy, very busy time. Well, good. So what do you do? Do you have any hobbies? Do you have any time for hobbies? I guess you're, you're the sheriff and you have those three boys, but do you, what do you do for fun? Um, I like outdoors. You know, I'm, a, I'm fishing and hunting are, are two of my enjoyable pastimes. Matter of fact, I'm always, this morning I thought to myself, I should be in the tree stand, but I have work to do. Um, <laughs> but those are, you know, those are good. I've done those all my life and I, you know, experience those with my kids too and try and, you know, expose them to, the kind of the therapy the at the outdoors provides too but um you know my my family was a uh, heavily involved in the outdoors too and it's yeah it's 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 good for me it's good for my soul and it's a good opportunity to spend time with my kids very good let's talk about uh other things do you have any like mentors in your life as you went along or anybody give you guidance to help your career or anything <clears throat> You know, I don't know that I would say he had any direct mentors. It was more there were, but there's a lot of people I looked up to, you mm -hmm. know, and took examples from um, everything from, you know, my, my parents, you know, and sure. kind of reflecting on who they were and the important, you know, how they, how they were important in my life and how they contributed to other people's lives. Um, I got to tell you, my wife's been probably really the biggest influence on my life and, um, I would say my most important advisor also mm -hmm. just sure. on everything that I go through in life. Um, and then, yeah, there's people I've, I still reach out to this day and, and ask for guidance on, mm -hmm. you know, leadership and, um, and just how I can be doing better. You right. know, I think that's kind of an endeavor. I don't know that I've quite ever identified it is an endeavor until recently, but this idea of just what, what can I be doing to be better than yesterday? Right. You know, it's difference between being the best at something because that shows it plants in your head that there's an end, you know, mm -hmm. where really I think we should always be looking at things of the, the long term. what's the long game and how can I be doing better along the way? You know, it's just like with, leadership leadership isn't a, a a mark you check off that you've accomplished you know it's it's a path that never ends and so i'm always looking for those other people who might have some more insight into how how can i still be improving sure. on that well speaking of leadership at the sheriff's office do you have like a weekly staff meeting um, you have these i guess these deputies or these patrol but, but i assume people work at night you, you mm -hmm. you're doing this 24 hours a day mm -hmm. how does that work how, how, how do you schedule all that so the, the, the scheduling is pretty, I mean, it, it's a rigid schedule. I mean, we have to have that planning in place. But um, if, if you're asking about, you know, how do we make sure we're connecting with all the staff? Well, that is tough because, you know, I'm around most of the time during the day. But, yeah, there's deputies work evenings and they work late nights. So how do you make sure, you know, the, the, the mission is carried out when 
you can't be the one to explain here's how we're going to do that and that's through meeting with staff so we have command staff meetings every week on tuesdays but just last um or i'm sorry it was monday you know we had a command staff meeting with just all the jail command staff which we've never done that since i've been in office and i don't know that it was ever done prior to but that was a point we've made is to make sure we're communicating better with staff because if you're not if you're not telling staff what the expectations are they're left to fill in the blanks and then if they're filling in the blanks then I, then I failed as a leader you know people I want people to understand here's how we're going to operate here's what's valuable here's what's important and here's how here's what accountability looks like because if everybody has the same message then everybody's consistent in you know how they go forward mm -hmm. and, and serve the public so you know we're having those meetings with command staff we're having those meetings where here's what's important here's what we're going to do and, and here's what we're not going to do and if if the command staff has that understanding and, and we're all on the same page about it then that's carried out through the rest of the staff and I think that provides security and and comfort if you will for staff mm -hmm. to know here's here's what's valuable to the people we serve and the people we're accountable to and we just have to make sure we're always communicating that great well that's a full-time job um let me ask this question about you know last year i guess we had the the protest in iowa city and the issue about defunding the police and dealing with all these yeah, Black Lives Matter. How, how does the sheriff's office deal with that? What 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 have you done to try to you know, be sensitive to all those issues? So one of the things, and we we started last year, and and continued to going forward. It really showed us that you know a lot of issues got brought up about what are we doing to you know to battle systemic racism. What are we doing to make sure we're policing in a fair and equitable way, and when we looked at a lot of the concerns and suggestions about how to be better at what we do, what we realized was we're already doing a lot of these things locally um, when it comes to how, you know, how we make sure that we have, um, we're providing, you know, diversity and um, um, inclusivity training for our staff. Um, how are we making sure that we are policing a fair way? How are we making sure we're, um, you know, properly reporting use of force, those kind of things. And when we those questions were asked and we looked, the answer was, we're already doing a lot of these things. And I think that was pretty evident, you know, across local law enforcement in Johnson County. And so that was, it, it was a good opportunity to be introspective because a lot of the answers were, we're already doing a lot of these things. And that doesn't mean we have to, you know, we can take our foot off the gas. I mean, we all, like I mentioned earlier, we always have to make sure, are we doing better than yesterday? But it was good to see we're already ahead of the curve. But I think Johnson County has been doing, has been ahead of the curve in a lot of ways for a long time. For example, um, with even how like our nonprofit communities work together. And, you know, years ago when, um, 1105 project came to fruition you know the county provided the space and four local nonprofits merged into one so they knew hey we have a lot of clients who utilize the same services let's make sure we're effectively serving those people i use that as an example just to show johnson county tends to be out in front of how are we making sure we're better serving people and we're still doing that 
Um, since coming into office, one thing I, I've made important is um, all of our new staff, when they're hired, uh, one of the first things they do as part of their training is to sit down and go through like our DEI training with our um, coordinator at the county to make sure because we need to make sure we're it's showing the staff this is important and we're going to make it a priority to make sure we're treating people fairly and equitably. And if you do it early on in the training, it sets the tone for the future. Sure. You know, it's not something we're waiting till the end to do or as an afterthought. We have to do this now. We have to make it a priority. Mm-hmm. Well, good. That's that's impressive. Uh, I guess one final question about the sheriff's office. If we look out, let's say five years from now, uh, what what do you envision as far as changes or approaches um, in the in the in policing in our duties as sheriff? Well, five years from now, I hopefully I'm in my second term. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, that's right. You know, that's an interesting question because, you know, law enforcement's become, it's not static. You know, for a long time, law enforcement's been an institution that, um, because leadership changes don't typically happen very often, that that means, you know, um, you'll you hear a lot of, well, here's how we've always done things. You know, there's not a lot of incentive to make sure you're moving forward with you know, the, the society that you live in. And so things change rapidly. Um, and we have to make sure we're able to adjust accordingly. But in the meantime, um, you know, I want to make it a priority for, for, you know, my administration to focus on making sure the work environment is good for the staff. You know, I want to invest in, uh, you know, more training for, um, like leadership training for our command staff, but also in wellness for everybody, because this is a traumatic job. It's and, and, and not only for our sworn staff, but our civilian staff. Um, there's a lot of traumas that come along with what they're exposed to through what we do. And we have to make sure we're taking care of our people. Um, you know, I want to I don't foresee us going anywhere anytime soon. So we need to invest in the building and make sure we have a good workspace for everybody. Um, you know, and then one thing I, I, I think the sheriff the office of the sheriff is in a unique position to also, you know, build and kind of um, help people have a better understanding of local government. Um, I, I strongly believe local government is, you know, it's the it's the government that has the most impact in everybody's day to day lives. We focus more on state and national politics, but at the end of the day, it's your local government that impacts how you get to work. You know, the, the health of your kids. Um, everything that you do daily is heavily impacted by local government. I want to make sure we're not, you know, that local government is operated in an ethical way. People respect the boundaries of, of local government, but also feel heard and, and have input and then understand why things are the way they are and why things aren't. And the sheriff has a unique opportunity to, to have a hand in that. Um, you know, we're, we're directly accountable to the people. Um, and it's important we listen to what that feedback is and just be transparent in how we do our jobs. And so I, I just want to see, I, I want to see us in local government do better about communicating and um, understanding boundaries and making sure everybody's just being responsible and accountable to everybody. Oh, great. 
Well, that's uh, that's interesting, and I'm excited that you're our sheriff and the future is bright. We should wrap this up, but uh, I've learned a lot. I know a lot more than I used to know, and uh, I, I guess I, I can always give you a call for a lot more information. Right. But anything else you want to share with uh, with our podcast listeners today? I would just I would just leave it at this that one of the things that makes you law enforcement unique and gives me hope about what we do and, and the importance of it is is I I look at law enforcement as we're in the impact business, right? We're every day is a new opportunity for, you know, the officer on the street or the detective in an interview or the administrator in the office or wherever to, to have an impact on the lives of the public. And, you know, let's be honest, sometimes the impact we have isn't good. You know, not everybody likes getting a ticket, but that's an impact. But every traffic stop is even an opportunity to change somebody's preconceived notions about you know who that person is wearing that badge and and sometimes they don't those encounters aren't good but every day provides a new opportunity to change someone's mind to have a better connection with with the public and that's a good thing because not everybody can can say that every day is a new opportunity to have a positive impact on somebody's life and i think that's just a good thought process to instill in everybody going forward because you know, we, we can and we do make a difference. It's just we have to remember to not take those chances for granted. Yeah, well, that's that's true for all of us. Well, Brad, thanks a lot. It's been great to have Brad Kunkel here today, the uh, Johnson County Sheriff. We learned a lot about who Brad is in the office and the um, what opportunities we have here to make this a, a better place. So, Brad, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Tom's New Best Friend is brought to you by West Bank. This Corridor Business Journal podcast is produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal.